the ratio podcast i'm your host johnny ray and we are coming to you live from uh beautiful downtown athens georgia and today on the podcast we have a guest that that we've wanted since the beginning on of of this podcast and that is mr david j haskins uh, David Jay is going to be here today to talk about Night Crickets, uh, an amazing new project that he's completed, and it is out for your listening pleasure. And we're also going to talk about Bauhaus, obviously. Uh, they're out touring, and I caught them at the Cruel World Festival out in beautiful, uh, lovely, sunny California back in May. And uh, we'll talk about that performance and, uh, you know, well, it's all good things, especially his amazing book that you've got to check out. So um, just want to remind everyone that we will have the live dates coming up soon. We'll be announcing those. I know I say that every podcast, but they are about to to be within your grasp. So uh, keep an eye on all our socials and the website for information on how you can attend one of the live tapings we're going to do at Cine. Um but without further delay, let's get to my uh, talk with Mr. David J. Haskins. All right, we are here with David J. of the Mighty Night Crickets and also Bauhaus. Um, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing splendidly, thank you. Well, it's uh, it's an honor to have you on the podcast here on the Ratio Podcast. Thanks for taking uh, time to speak with us. And the night, uh, the night crickets record, a free society, is is just fantastic. There's such a feel to this record. It's like there's there's this taste, tastefully subversive, yet so accessible feel to these songs. Um, could you just tell me a little bit about how this project came together? Yeah. Um, well, initially, my uh, manager, uh, Mr. Darwin Miners who's also a great musician in his own right. I produced his solo record a while back. Um, he met up with Victor De Lorenzo from, uh, from the Virgin, um, from, um, Violet Femmes. <laughs> yes. Violet Femmes. I was going <laughs> to say Virgin Prunes then, but it's, it's a very different situation. Um, yes, sorry. Yes. Violet Femmes. When they played at Coachella, I actually saw, I saw them play with Darwin. And then after the, after their set, he was backstage and he met Victor and they kind of hit it off. And then um, they, carried, they carried on corresponding via email. And um, the idea came up for them to do some coll collaboration. Um, uh, it's actually Darwin that suggested it to Victor. And, and, Dar and then Victor said, well, yeah, I'm into that. But how about um, including David? So they asked me if I'd like to be part of this endeavor and i said yes and uh we just sort of we did it remotely as a bit of an experiment with no real um expectations of where it was going to go you know this was during like heavy lockdown time right and it was it was it was good to have a project like this you know um so we just worked remotely and we would just trade uh recordings and usually it would be victor who kicked it off with a a drum beat um and then he'd send that more than likely to me and i would my process with these tracks all of the tracks was that i would not listen to them until i was in the studio ready to do a take and i would and i'd usually start with a bass line and i'd 
sometimes I wouldn't even hear the track until we'd roll, you know, tape, yeah, as it were. Um, and I, I just like go, you know, and the, a lot of those tracks are first takes. Wow. And it's kind of uncanny, really, because I was changing where the changes were, though I'd never heard the track before, if you're with me. Um, so we had this flow, kind of an uncanny flow right from day one. And then I would send my my contribution, you know, on top of Victor's to Darwin, and he would lay down either keyboards or guitar or vocal, if it came to mind, and then send back to Victor for him to add more overdubs, be it vocal, keyboards, percussion. Then he would send, Victor would send back to me. I'd probably do a vocal and some drones. Um, I have this wonderful box of delights that um, I got it's from Bombay. It's called a Rajini. Oh, wow. And um, it's a little electronic drone box. Um, and it's a wonderful thing. You can change the pitch and the, the timbre of it. And that is used throughout the album. You can hear that. It's almost like the glue that, that holds everything together. Yeah. But that yeah. was the process. That's, that's, that's how it happened. And then we just started, you know, it was such a flow. We decided to keep going with it. And then we suddenly realized, oh, wait a minute, we're making an album here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened. Well, what's the first song you came uh, that came together on this? There's so many just classic mm. tracks on this. Um, That's a good question. I haven't thought about it. Why is? I mean, it's all done in in such a um, kind of fever dream, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what was the first song? Uh, I think might have been black leather on the inside yeah the album opener yeah <clears throat> yeah and that that's interesting how that came about because victor sent over the beat i'd heard it once just heard this beat and um and i was up late one night listening to um a box set of peter lofner tracks you know peter lofner yeah 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 yeah, okay. He's kind of obscure, but very influential. From Cleveland, Ohio, an original member of Perubu. Right, right, and, right. Uh, and a singer-songwriter in his own right. A really brilliant guy who died tragically young at 24. Um, but uh, as I said, I was listening to this box set, and one of the tracks, um, it was vinyl, and then the stylus stuck. And but it was making this kind of cool loop, so I just immediately I grabbed my phone and started recording it. And then there was a, I had a fire going. It was in winter, log fire going, and so that sort of crackling and popping and roaring of a log fire is on this recording, and oh. it has an atmosphere. And I just took it into the studio literally the next day, and flew it in at random really with um, Victor's drumbeat, and it just syncopated perfectly. So we had a, a track for me, and I thought, well, as I've kind of cribbed from Peter Lofner, um, the right thing to do is to make this a tribute to him. So off the top of my head, I wrote the lyrics, which are about Peter Lofner, based a little bit on Lester Bang's obituary of Lofner. 
And this is on but Black again, Leather like on really the end. spontaneous. And I just wrote that out in the flow and then just went straight in and recorded the vocal. And that's really that's really typical of the process. And then I sent it to, to Darwin and he added to it, you know. And then it went back to Victor and, and it does the, you know, the circuit again until we all feel, oh, it's done, you know. Yeah, you yeah. And add any more paint to this picture. Well, the record that like just starting off with black leather on the inside, it's it, the, the record does sound like a celebration. And especially when the lyrics get to the life is wearing thin part, you know, yeah. it's it's almost like a shedding skin song for me, almost in a way. Um, and and I well, feel- it's a sorry. I mean, uh, what I'm talking about there is uh, Lofner's imminent mortality and that, you know that he didn't have long to go and he was aware i think he was aware of that <clears throat> yeah yeah oh yeah well now how far how far back do you go with victor uh not that far you know um no i only met re- recently you know right i right. haven't met uh victor before well, it was just after the Violent Femmes, the, the gig at, at Coachella. I mean, I was, I'm a long-time fan, big time, you know, Violent Femmes, very influential on Love and Rockets. And in fact, I, t- I told Victor this story that she enjoyed, which is when we were made, we made our first two albums at a studio in Leamington Spa, Good uh, Woodbine, really good engineer, a co-producer really john john a rivers um we wanted to go in a bit of a different direction for a third record and make it more acoustic and just more um less less layered really and the the record we, we were playing all the time when we were making express which is the album before was the first violent femmes album and we used to rock that yeah. in the kitchen at the studio and in the car, you know. And John came in one time and he said, he wasn't into it. He said, I don't know what you guys see in this band. <laughs> and so we questioned him about it. He said, really, we love this band. You don't get it? He said, no, it just, it sounds terrible to me. It's just really badly recorded and it's too raw. And, and because of this, we didn't. We were going to go with John for the third album, but because of that, we decided not to go with him because he wasn't on the same wavelength as us. So we got our our old um, engineer Derek Tompkins out of retirement. Derek was the engineer on Bella Lugosi's Dead and some early Bauhaus stuff, and we we brought him in, and he got it. We played him Violent Femmes, and he dug it. You know, although he was like at that time, he was like in his mid fifties, but he got it. Right. And we made uh, an album called uh, Sun Moon with him. But that was very, that Violent Femmes album was very influential. Yeah, yeah. And now now you and Darwin, how far do you do you all go back? Uh, we, we, we've been together now um, for, God, about 12 years, I guess. And, and how we met was <laughs> amusing. I had a DJ gig. Um, just um, down south near the Mexican border, and he he was playing in a Love and Rockets tribute band, <laughs> and he was on the bill. The agent had bought. He asked me. He said, "I've got this wacky idea. There's this there's this tribute band who are very good, 
love them like it's would you be cool with them being on the same bill as you when you dj i said yeah that sounds that sounds like a hoot so uh, i went into this this club and the first person i saw in there was darwin he was having a drink and uh we just nodded and i i joined him and um I just caught the end of their sound check. That's right. And then he sat down and had a drink. And so I joined him. And he said to me, um, you know, really glad we could do this. And uh, thank you for not suing us. So I said to him, <laughs> it's early. <laughs> <laughs> and he cracked up. And then that we just really hit it off. And, um, and then they, they played and they were damn good. And I ended up joining them for um, I sang on No New Tale to Tell. Oh my gosh! As their encore, as their encore, and then we just you know kept in touch. And um, I said, "Do you make music outside of this band?" He said, "Oh yeah, I'm, I write my own songs." I said, "Well, let let me hear them." And he sent me some demos, and I was really knocked out with them. And I I instantly thought I w- I'd like to produce you. So I ended up producing his his album. Nice, nice. That that's got to be surreal. How that whole situation comes around for both of you, you know, for him to be playing in a in a cover band like that. Yeah, yeah. And well, in conversation, it became very evident that he really understood where I was at. He really and he knew my history, and he was very appreciative, you know. And he's a very smart, savvy guy. And I thought he could be a really good manager. I didn't have a manager at the time, so I put that to him. So we we had a like a trial period of six months, and it really clicked. So yes, he's also my manager. Well, well, given how busy you all are all are right now, I mean, is there any chance for live shows of this? <clears throat> we had talked about it. I don't know, but the the thing is, I mean, the market is really bad at the moment, even for big bands you know for like Bauhaus and although I mean we're doing better than than a lot right it's just because of the you know basically the world situation coming out of COVID and um the war in Ukraine awful war um just the economy people not having money you know it's very beleaguered so it's not really the right time to think about going out with a new venture. Maybe in the future things settle down, you know. Right. Um, we have talked about it, although it would be kind of difficult because it was conceived as a su- studio project. And it's very much that. I mean, using the studio as an instrument in a way, the old Brian Wilson thing. So we, we would take some um, some wrangling and some working out how to do it live, but it's not impossible, you know. You can use samples and and loops and stuff like that, and and then you know the real instruments alongside that. Right. So it's possible, yeah, in the future. Well, uh, how are the Bauhaus shows going? <clears throat> Fantastic. I mean, you. I mean, you're. you're I. Uh, I. That's. I really want. Wanna... You know, we feel like we're playing better than we've ever played. Yeah, I. I can see that, and I mean. To me, I'm 48. That that show out at Cruel World was a real uh, reaffirmation of everything I believe in. I mean, it scalded my brain. Oh, great. Thank you. And uh, one thing I wanted to discuss about that is, you know, I was out there hired in a Georgia pine. There's a lunar eclipse. 
and Peter just appears on those big screens on the side as some kind of satanic Wizard of Oz, and you guys <laughs> unleash a truly magical performance. Um, I mean, I was transfixed for days at the simplicity and the effectiveness of that opening. Do you remember the time that you used that that trick? Um, I know it was it was earlier in you guys' career when you used the trick of filming Peter off stage, and you guys yeah, going that was into it really early, like nineteen eighty, at yes. the Rock Garden in London, and we had a TV monitor on the stage, and then he sang dub, "Double Dare" from the dressing room um, in real time, you know, being filmed and relayed to the the monitor. So that was the first time we did that. Then we re re revived it in ninety eight on that tour. And we had a even bigger screen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we thought, oh, let's do it again because it, it, we we knew we were going to have these these big um, video screens, you know. And um, the quality of the image is so much better than it's ever been. And uh, also, I mean, there was a a bit of a a, re a reveal there because it was the first time Peter had appeared with his shaved head right you know um I, a la your your brinner <laughs> and yes. actually his his outfit is ba based on your brinner's costume in the king and i, I his outfit was fantastic yeah um, yeah and it really suits him that look we've actually been trying to get him to do that for a long time right for years right and he finally did it and it looks great you know well, and, you know, to, to go along with that opening on Double Dare, if you don't get that first note, just I think it's the most sinister note in rock and roll, the opening of that song when you come in with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a it's a double note. It's uh, I play, you know, I play um, it's a it's the same note, but it's played on different strings through the fuzz, heavy fuzz box. Right. Well, and I, I actually love that moment. It's a sort of protean moment of the the space before the note. Oh, yes. And I like to like really sort of psych into that space and feel feel the potential in that space. It's very potent. Absolutely. It's a very magical magical thing. Well. Uh, that that brings me I'd, I'd love to discuss i've got a, a few more questions for you if if you have the time i would love to discuss your book the excellent who killed mr moonlight um Bauhaus, black magic and benediction i really get a sense sure. of who you are in this story mm -hmm. it, it it doesn't shy away from the facts but it dispenses with the usual mean-spirited score settling bullshit that a lot of these pro uh, projects fall prey to how difficult was it putting this book together it was a challenge, but I felt very much compelled to write it. I just wanted to write. I mean, I just felt I had to write that book. Um, and it took me seven years to write it. And I drew on, I was sort of on and off kept journals. And I've, I've got all my day books going back to 1980. So that was all very useful. Yeah. Um, I had a guy, Andrew Brooksbank, who's a bit of an authority on on the band and he's he put together this great timeline very detailed so with those all those elements um at my disposal i was able to you know tap into my memories and and put it together i mean it's not written as you know it's not written 
um, in a con- conventional way, really. Um, in fact, I was at the time I was co-writing some screenplays, and that played into it just the way one writes for for film. Yeah. Um, I imagined these real experiences as scenes in a movie. You know, mm-hmm. so that was a good device, and it made it very vivid. Um, and gave it some momentum, I think, and made it visually uh, arresting. It's so reading. It's so readable. I mean, it's um, yeah. It it, it and it's got a cast of characters that I don't want to spoil here, but I mean, you've truly lived and are living an artistic, just fantastic life, man. When I look at some of the people that you've had the opportunity to uh, interact with, I mean, both professionally yeah. and um, Being you know, fortunate in that. Way, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, but I think you make you can make those things happen. You no, know, that's 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 magic. Yeah, and that's, that's type of magic, you know. That's what I wanna I wanna that leads me into the next question. You've never been afraid to just go there, in both your art and your life. So upon reflection, how do you feel that your your explorations with magic and psychedelics have informed your art and your life? Um, intrinsically. Right. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's yeah, that's that the influence of all those elements is you know ongoing. Um I I did pull I pulled back from from ritualistic magic because it's so um unwieldy and rather dangerous. <laughs> but I because it, it's mm, you're dealing with elements that are unknown. And even if you are a very learned uh, magician, um, which I don't claim to be at all, you you can have end up with a tiger by the tail, you know, and then it's what you do with that thing. Um, but um, I'm very grateful for the for the lessons that I garnered during that very intense period, particularly with Alan Moore when I was working with him, and he kind of in, inducted me into the, the whole realm, the magical realm. And um, I'm still in touch with it. And I'm, I think I've always been of a disposition where I, I use, you know, visualization and I'm in tune with that which lies beyond the veil, as it were psychically um adept i suppose um but i've just pulled back from the ritual side of it because it can it can get out of control right well you know what alan's words in the um intro to your book are some of they're so stirring and uh amazing um you know so so you're still in contact with him because he was sure yeah he was an early supporter of Bauhaus from early on, correct? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, yeah. He wrote wrote one of our first um, features actually in Sounds when he was writing for that music paper. Right. It was a very it was a positive writer. Yeah. Yeah, and you know uh, another collaborator that 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 you've had um, that's a friend of the podcast is Jarbo. And uh, you, oh, okay. you you appeared on her record, the Men album, um, and uh, yeah. 
you appear on King David, and, and she is thanked in your book. What is her art and her friendship meant to you over the years? Well, I've, I've only seen her, I mean, infrequently. But it's always wonderful when we do get together. I think she's, you know, she's, an, an, she's a pure artist. Absolutely. You know, her motivation is coming from a very pure place. And she's very powerful. And she's a, she's a something of a a magical conduit, I think, for a certain type of energy. Um, it's, it's very focused, and yeah, I have a lot of respect for her. Right, right. She's yeah, incredibly prolific. I I recommend anybody going down the rabbit hole with her solo work. Um, but yeah. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you. We're speaking to you from Athens, Georgia, and, and one of the legendary shows mentioned here in town is when you appeared at World Famous on your house show tour. Do you have any yeah. recollections of our little music town, or is it all just a blur of dates when you do something like that? No, I, I, I have recollections, yeah, sure. In fact, you know, doing that, that circuit, my recollections are, are more vivid than playing clubs because clubs and even theaters tend to all blur into each other. But with, you know, doing what, what is called a living room tour, but it's sometimes, you know, outside of an actual living room, but it's, it's, um, you're visiting people's personal spaces and, and it's very obviously eclectic and diverse. And I love doing, I love doing that circuit. Yeah, yeah. It's very stimulating for me. And it's just so, so reciprocal and it's obviously very intimate. And you, I get to, I really like to talk to the audience members after playing, you know, and they, it's very kind of moving, you know, what they, they say, what your music means to them. And um, that's very gratifying, you know, it's, it's soul satisfying. Whereas if you're playing in clubs and and on a tour, you know, in big big venues, you tend to just do the gig and then go. You don't see anybody, <clears throat> so you don't you're not not in contact with that um, intimate connection, you know. Yeah. So that's a special. That's a very special part of doing living room shows. Well, I got those stories, the people you talked to the night that night and the show. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, still reverberate yeah. here in this town. Um, people oh, still great. talk about it, so it's really to come back one day. Absolutely. Well, uh, where would be the best place for people to get in touch with you or follow the Night Crickets, or just Night Crickets? Um, well, we just uh, started an Instagram, so that's a good starting point. And there's um, there's going to be a, um, a website, also a Bandcamp. Bandcamp's good. All right. Well, well yeah. Well, David, we want to thank you so much for taking your time today. It is truly an honor. We've wanted to have you on this podcast since we started it. So uh, thank oh, you okay. so much. Well, pleasure. I want to thank David Jay for coming on the podcast. It was it was so amazing to be able to talk to him about his new project, Night Crickets, which, which I urge you to check out, and also to be able to discuss Bauhaus and his just amazing, interesting, artistic life. Um, and make sure to go catch Bauhaus if you can here here on tour. They're coming to a town near you very soon, and they are absolutely on fire. So uh, make sure you go out and check them out.
and uh, check out his book, Night Crickets, everything. So uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback we've been getting for all the episodes. And uh, stay switched on, and we'll talk to you soon.